Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nanospray coating gives you professional protection in a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand new 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. Now you can enjoy MLB Play, the one app with all your favorite free MLB games. Enjoy Beat the Streak, Quick Pick, and more. Enjoy competing against friends. Enjoy unlocking exclusive rewards. Plus, your chance to win $5.6 million. Download MLB Play. Enjoy the app. Enjoy the show. MLB Play. No purchase necessary. Must be 21 or older to enter Beat the Streak, which ends at the conclusion of the MLB regular season or when the grand prize is won. Restriction supply. See MLB.com forward slash play for official rules. And now, please welcome Rob Bradford. It's time for the Bradford Files, right now on WEI.com. Welcome to another edition of the Bradford Files. Today, we'll be talking to Andrew Moscato, who produced a great, great film. I love documentaries. I love documentaries. And this is a good one, The Zen of Bobby V. It's also obviously a very timely one. But The Zen of Bobby V falls around new Red Sox manager, then Japanese manager, Bobby Valentine, through the 2007 season. And the access is great. It's a great story how Andrew Moscato, Andrew Jenks, uh, who a lot of you might know as the world of Jenks on MTV, got access to Bobby Valentine, got access to uh, the Japanese baseball side of things, got access to ESPN Films, which is one of the first films that they did, why they were just students at NYU Film School. It's it's a great story. Andrew Moscato's uh, got a great perspective, not only on the making of this film, the access, but also of the person having been following around Bobby Valentine for, for basically from March 2007 until November of 2007. Um, some great stories. Uh, and again, some some really, really good perspective on, on the guy who I think a lot of people are trying to get some perspective about. So, with no further ado, this is Andrew Moscato, producer of The Zen of Bobby V. Andrew, thanks for joining us. Hey, my pleasure, Rob. Thank you. And uh, and Andrew had a, quite a unique experience. I would imagine it was a unique experience. Uh, who, as a producer of the documentary, a great, great documentary, The Zen of Bobby V, which obviously falls around Bobby Valentine throughout the 2008 season, correct, in Japan? Uh, 2007, actually. 2007. My apologies, but yep. it, it is. It was. Uh, it, it was a groundbreaking project in a lot of ways. Um, one of which because of the, the personality that is Bobby V. But we were down at the winter meetings actually talking about this particular subject with Bobby Valentine. It, we, there was a a luncheon with reporters, and this, believe it or not, Andrew, was the first topic of conversation that we had with him 
Um, wow, and, that's extremely flattering to hear. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I, I don't think anyone's talked about the film in, in uh, like four years. So it's that's uh, quite quite an honor. Well, get ready for a spike in sales because this thing is is uh, everyone wants to know everything about Bobby Valentine right now. And and as you can imagine, the uh, when we start talking about it, it, as as my brief experience with Bobby has been, is that he had a great story to go along with it about the making of it. But uh, I'm curious about a lot of things in regards to your presence in the project and your perspective of it. But first of all, could you just tell me how it came about? Because I think that, according to Bobby anyway, that was a pretty unique story in itself. Well, well, definitely, yes. I, I was uh, a junior at NYU, um, and I, me and myself and uh, uh, two classmates of mine, Andrew Jenks and uh, Jonah Quickmire Pettigrew, uh, we're also, we're all the same year at NYU, and and we were interested in making documentaries. And my friend Andrew Jenks had read this article about Bobby winning the Japan series in uh, 2005, and the mega celebrity that he had become over in Japan. And we, you know, we were baseball fans, and and we just thought it was so bizarre that of all people, Bobby Valentine, the the outspoken, outrageous American, was this you know cultural icon in in Japan of all places. So. We thought that would be a great project, but obviously we didn't have the means to, to go about making our making it ourselves. But we did send Bobby this whole email saying how, you know, we were three young filmmakers and we wanted to follow you around for a baseball season in Japan. And we immediately got a reply back and it was great. That's all he said, great. <laughs> so we it was it was an encouraging it was a positive email and it was pretty encouraging. So we said, Oh, well at least Bobby's on board. So we kind of put that, that idea away uh, until actually we were working on another project that we took to ESPN um, that, that they had turned down, but they said, you know, if you guys have any other ideas, um, you know, let, let us know. And, and we immediately fired back, what about a uh, movie that follows Bobby V in Japan? So they said, sounds great. Now, this is December of 2006, mm-hmm. so about five years ago. Uh, and so we pitched them the idea. They liked it. They said, all right, well, why don't you guys come back uh, and... If you, if you can bring Bobby and bring a budget, you know, we'll have a much bigger meeting. So we said, sure. So we call up Bobby. Unfortunately, he was home in Stanford, Connecticut, because it was the off-season. Mm-hmm. And so we call him up, and we say, hey, we're the guys who want to make the movie about you. We, we have a meeting with ESPN next week. Uh, can you come join us? And there's this pause on the phone, and he finally said, uh, we should probably meet first. So <laughs> we said, okay. So we, we go up to his, uh, his restaurant in Stanford, and uh, we sit down with him, and, and so he says, all right, so what, what is it that you guys want to do? And we tell him we want to follow you around for an entire season in Japan. And I remember he, he sits back in his chair, and he has this look on his face, and there's this long, dramatic pause, and he says, hmm, no, that's probably the worst idea I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and, Neil, I mean, we were, we were floored. Because, again, we, I mean, we thought we were going to go back to ESPN and, and look like idiots. And, you know, the, the, the young amateurs that, that we were being only film students. And, uh, I mean, we were devastated. And Bobby starts listing, and, and he starts rubbing it in, too. He starts listing every reason why it would be a bad idea. That, you know, the, the manager's job is to eliminate distractions and having three... Uh, three American college kids running around with a camera, that's the biggest distraction I could think of. And I said, all right, that's a good point. And, uh, and he said, and, and, the, and the, what about the access? He said, the Japanese media doesn't have the same type of access that reporters get in the States. They're only relegated to the press box. They can't go to the clubhouse. They can't go to my office. So you're telling me that I have to, I have to get you guys better access than guys who've been working in the Japanese media for 30-plus years? <laughs> And again, we had no idea what to say, and we, I, I just remember that, that tit in my stomach. 
And uh, fortunately, we, we kind of kept throwing, well, what if we did this? Was it? No, no. And I remember Bobby saying, well, you, you can do the movie, but just use old photos and you can interview me. <laughs> and that was, we said, no, that's not, you know, what we had in mind. And, uh, it, you know, it, fortunately, this was the same time as the dice came out to Zaka. Right. Madness. And so that's why ESPN was very interested in a project about Japanese baseball. And, you know, and at the time, Bobby was really the only, and probably still is the only American who was saying that the Japanese professional league is, is just as good, if not even better, than Major League Baseball. And, and so we had kind of t- remind him, reminded him of that and told him how this could be an opportunity for him to show American baseball audiences what Japanese baseball is really like. Mm-hmm. And we kind of kept harping on it, kept harping on it. And three hours later, believe it or not, he said, all right, I'll, I'll go to the meeting. <laughs> and when, when he finally did show up in the meeting, me and my two buddies probably between the three of us said maybe a sentence each. It was all Bobby. And Bobby sits down in, in the conference room with the ESPN executives and starts going on about how this film needs to be made and it needs to be made now. And these are the three guys to do it. I'm only doing it with three, these three guys. And, and you have to send them all season. Uh, so... Needless to say, he uh, he got <laughs> he charmed the, the pants off the guys at ESPN, and and by March of uh, two thousand seven, we were in Japan. What was the what was the most eye opening thing right out of the gate? And, and I guess there's is a is a two prong question because obviously you talked about the challenges that you were going to face once you got over there in regards to the culture and and how it is different in terms of access, but also mm-hmm. in regards to. Bobby himself. What were the two things there that really stood up as a oh we didn't really expect this? Well, what we didn't really expect. I mean, what we had learned uh, just from that meeting was that he was a very straightforward guy. I mean, none of us had known him personally before going over there, and and but what we discovered is what you see is what you get. There's no facade, no you know, uh, no shtick. I mean, Bobby Bobby V is Bobby V. Um, but the one thing that we hadn't expected about him was how. Uh, dedicated he was to adapting to the Japanese culture and customs. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember it was, you know, it was probably our first week there, he handed us this worksheet of, you know, 25 vocab words that we had to memorize. <laughs> uh, also, uh, there was, you know, the town that, that his team was based out of, the Chibolete Marines, was, was kind of westernized, I mean, like most of Japan is, but this one more so in particular. I mean, there's an Outback Steakhouse and the uh, Baskin Robbins. And if Bobby ever found out that we were at the Outback Steakhouse, he would he would give us so much crap for it. And uh, again, because he he only ate Japanese food, he he tried to only speak Japanese. And I think that's one big reason why he, he endeared himself so much to to the Japanese public that he really made that effort. And and he expected us to to do the same. The when when you got going in the project, you said you got there in March March of two thousand seven, correct? Yes. Okay, so you you get going. Um, were there a lot of obstacles out of the gate? In other words, as you kind of, okay, we're filming, we understand what we want to do, how we want to do it, but it's not really going exactly as we had planned. Was that the case that you kind of had to ease into things a little bit? Definitely. I mean, that was one uh, benefit to being there for the whole season. Um, you know, the, the Japanese, there's definitely a certain way to go about doing things, uh, especially in Japan. And I think being there, for as long as we were, because ultimately we didn't leave until November uh, wow. of that year. Uh, so just being there and, you know, uh, gaining the trust not only with Bobby, but with the rest of the organization, the players, the front office, 
you know, helped us out so that maybe, you know, uh, April, May, June, we were, we too were relegated to the press box and just watching the games from there. Uh, but by September, October, we, you know, we were, we had a camera on top of the stadium. So, wow. uh, that, that was definitely, definitely pretty wild. Um, but yeah, uh, another thing actually is, is before we went over, uh, ESPN had us outline, you know, what, what the production would be. This is mm-hmm. what we'll shoot. This is what we're trying to get. And uh, one of the things that we expected, especially, again, since it was the whole Dice came at Suzaka, um, you know, craziness, was that we, we, we thought that there was going to be the Hideo Nomo-like Jumbotron in Tokyo and people watching it, because um, that's what, you know, that's just what we expected right. the Japanese to do. And I remember the first, we went, we went into Tokyo at like 7 a.m. It was uh, Dice K's first game at Fenway. Mm-hmm. And we expected to see the whole, you know, the Hideo Nomo like big screens, and, and there's none of that. Mm. And I guess one thing that we hadn't expected about Japanese baseball, and, and ultimately became the theme of the film, was that the exodus of uh, Japanese players to the United States um, had kind of, A, you know, the novelty had kind of worn a bit mm-hmm. uh, amongst the Japanese, but at the same time, it had also been hurting the Japanese uh, fan attendance. Not as many people were actually going to games in Japan mm. because they would just watch. You know, uh, the, I mean, the Yankees, the Red Sox, and the Mariners are all broadcast nationally uh, in Japan. So folks would get their fill of baseball before they go to work in the morning, and then and that's it. And, and and so the attendance at the ballparks were extremely low. I remember being shocked our first road trip, mm. um, seeing how few people. I mean, there's always a, every team has this dedicated fan base out in the bleachers, but beyond that, it was. Um, you know, some of the stadiums, it was, it, I, I remember once there, there were more people, wor- you know, um, people working at the stadium wow. than actually at the game. And this, that, was, that was in Osaka. But so one of, the films about the, one of the themes of the film was Bobby trying to reinvigorate uh, the fan base of his team and, and trying to introduce different promotions and fan services that, you know, American um, fans had come to expect, you know, the fireworks night, mm-hmm. uh, you know, team autographs, stuff like that. And, and, it, and it definitely worked. Was was he? That's interesting because was he very hands on in regards to? Like you, you talked about fireworks night or promotions or. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, was he say, okay, you know, this is our organization, and it's more than me making up the lineup card or managing the team? It was was he much more hands on than you even anticipated? Oh, without a doubt. I remember once he asked us what, it, what we thought of the alternate uniforms that the team wore, and. Well, yeah, they're nice. Oh, good, thanks. Because I, I designed them. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. And uh, but no, I, I actually I, I remember when when I heard that he was he was getting the job with the Red Sox this year. Uh, immediately, I flashed back to this moment where we were in his office. The season in Japan was over, uh, but he was in his office planning the you know fan appreciation day after the season. It was this you know this huge event, this all day event at the at the stadium they had. You know, people could run the bases and meet the players and go into his office, the whole thing. And in the background, uh, in his office, the TV was on and the Red Sox had just won the World Series. Oh, really? And, yeah, and, and, and that year in 07, the, the Chibola team Marines and the Red Sox had initiated this business relationship. Mm-hmm. And I remember him taking a moment after the, after the final out was made, and, and he told his guys, because, you know, Bobby was leading this meeting, but he told the staff uh, on his team, you know, this is why, we're you know in a partnership with these guys. We need to be more like the Red Sox. Oh, interesting, interesting. Yeah. Did do you remember anything? Because this is a Red Sox centric kind of theme here. Is it? Is do you remember anything else in in regards to him mentioning the Red Sox throughout that time? Obviously, you mentioned the Dice K um, 
phenomenon that was going on at the time. But mm-hmm. was uh, did was there any other instances where there was that integration between Bobby and the Red Sox? Well, I mean, I'd say the big part was that business relationship. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, I remember they had a formal press conference. Uh, it was sometime in July of '07, and there were members of the Red Sox organization and members of the of Bobby's front office there. And, and Bobby gave a speech, and you know, he said, we're, "We need to learn to do things more like the Red Sox do things, and you know, mm-hmm. we need to, you know, develop our players like the Red Sox develop our players." And and I, I think that was a big part of it. I mean, obviously, I don't know the specifics of the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I know a lot of it was trying to you know send Japanese staff over to Boston and, and so they could kind of learn the American way of doing things, uh, and also I know Bobby would host uh, various scouts from from the Red Sox as well, you mm-hmm. know from time to time in Japan. There's a lot of obviously now everyone's trying to figure out what Bobby Valentine is going to be like in Boston, managing the Boston Red Sox, and and we have what we have to go by is his his managing managerial stints in Texas and in New York um but from what you observed how would you describe him as a manager because i think that you have probably a unique perspective of it not only because it was in Japan but just because of the, the access that you had and, and much that you were around him Oh, without doubt. I mean, something that always annoyed me uh, recently online, you know, the naysayers would say, well, if this guy's so good, how come he hasn't managed in 10 years? And it, uh, it kind of insults me because it discredits, you know, what he's been doing over the past eight seasons in Japan. And, and I mean, believe me, I know for a fact that, that Bobby had more than one opportunity to leave Japan and, and manage back in the States. Mm-hmm. And I think that speaks to, you know, not only his, his loyalty to the team that he had in Japan, but but just kind of how dedicated he was to what he was doing over there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think also, granted, since it has been ten years and Bobby has had this this big experience in Japan, I, I think he's definitely um, I don't know if matured is the right word, but but I, I think he's definitely been groomed for for the job like managing the Red Sox. Um, mm-hmm. I remember uh, one thing we we interviewed all the different players on on his roster, and one question we asked all of them was. You know what separates Bobby from the typical Japanese manager, and every, across the board, everybody was almost a uniform answer. Everybody said he takes the time to get to know me, mm-hmm. and everybody really uh, the the team. I think this may be one reason why uh, over his career, not only in Japan but you know with the Mets especially, he's had teams you know um, overachieve is because I think guys they they get to know Bobby, and they feel like he makes an effort to get to know them. And so it becomes not just, you know, a show up to the ballpark and play, but, but more of, you know, hey, we're a team, and, and um, I don't want to let you down because I, I know you're not going to let me down. And so I think the, there's definitely Bobby, uh, I saw, did a very good job building that rapport with his players. Uh, you know, I, I, I remember going over there, you know, before we went over there, we did our research, and there was a quote where Bobby said, you know, a manager's job isn't just to fill out the scorecard and, and after the game, you know, make excuses. Mm-hmm. But and, and we definitely saw that firsthand, without a doubt. That Bobby, you know, not only takes you know uh, the game itself personally, but but he takes a, a vested interest in, in in his players. It was interesting. I was looking at one clip of the the movie, and it was just a straight shot of you guys interviewing him, sitting in a chair right in the middle of the field, and mm-hmm. it was uh, and he's talking about his love of baseball, and he's talking about. I'm going to paraphrase, but my wife understands that my first love is baseball. And, right. and you, there was also parts where he's with his wife, obviously, over there. And I guess the best way to put it is, did you get that sense? Did you get the sense that this guy is, okay, is baseball 
than family, than everything else? Uh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, it sounds like hyperbole, but it definitely is not. I can tell you without a doubt it is not. Uh, I mean, Bobby, I think that was one reason. Being, being around him during losing streaks was not fun at all. And it was because he was just getting this funk. And, and we ultimately realized why is because he, t- he took losing extremely personally. Mm. Uh, like I said, I mean, he, he put a lot. I mean, it's been fun over the past two years since he's been back from Japan and doing the whole ESPN thing to kind of get to know the, uh, you know, Bobby V, the, the TV personality analyst, because he's been a lot more, you know, he's had a lot more free time, obviously. Uh, and, but now it, it's, now I know coming, you know, uh, I, I mean, I see it already. Now that he's, he's got the job with the Red Sox, he's down the Dominican. He was at the winter meetings. Now he's back in Boston. Mm-hmm. I mean, as soon as, as, soon as the, the uh, you know, the contract was signed, Bobby was back in baseball mode. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I have a feeling I'm not going to be uh, hearing too much from him as much this year as I did, say, last year, <laughs> only because, I mean, that is his number one priority. And when it was the games in season, he's – that's – all he's thinking about and uh, with i mean i i, I remember him telling us I mean, it's, it's also kept him up at night too i mean just thinking about lineups or thinking about what what did he do what could he do differently that you know from the previous game or this or that but yeah bobby definitely is a baseball guy through and through what what was your reaction when you first heard his name being mentioned as a candidate for the managing of the red sox uh, I, I thought i thought it was great uh, i mean I, I I knew Bobby. I got a sense uh, over the past couple of years that Bobby did want to manage again. But I, I think, again, I think this speaks to his maturation, not only as a manager, but a person. I, I think he realized that he didn't want to rush into it, that he wanted to make sure wherever he went was the right fit and that he liked the guys. I mean, he wasn't just going to manage again for the sake of managing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I think – the more I learned about the Red Sox and the more I heard from him, the, the more it did sound like it was a great fit. And especially, you know, I, I'm aware of Boston being very uh, passionate about the, the Red Sox and the whole media craziness, especially when, you know, it's the Yankees-Red Sox rivalry. And Bobby, Bobby had been through that with the, with the Mets. And, and also, uh, uh, remember, in Japan, baseball is the only sport, really, mm-hmm. that people follow. So the media scrutiny is, you know, national in terms of what you do in Japan. And I think Bobby Bobby handled it gracefully over there, and, and I think from that aspect, too, he's, he's more than ready uh, for what awaits him in Boston. Well, I guess from a selfish point of view, I would ask you, how, how was his relationship with the media there? It was his, Bobby's relationship with the media was, was pretty outstanding from, from my perspective. Uh, he was actually the only, well, not the only, because I think guys started following uh, his lead, but he was the first manager in Japan in the history of Japanese baseball to allow writers into his office. Oh, interesting. Uh, every game, he had a post-game press conference in his office. And, you know, even if they were on, you know, like a five-game losing streak, he still, he still obliged them, had, you know, guys in his office, ask questions until he don't have any more questions. And, and that was it. I mean, Bobby, like I said, is a, is a straight shooter. And, you know, he may, he may have been pissed off sometimes, but but that didn't keep him from you know letting he, he understands the writers have a job and, and guys need to get information and he had no problem giving it to them. Sure. The in my last question is it may be an unfair one because you you, you probably have a million different stories, but ten mm-hmm. years from now when you say you know you did this project and I got a great you know sitting in a bar somewhere I got a great story for you about this the whole experience. Is there one that that jumps out or or one of 
uh, maybe the top ten that you can mention? Oh, geez. Well, yeah, I mean, I can uh, karaoke for one with Bob Resort's <laughs> experience. But, uh, I, you know, what comes to mind also, I remember getting a, a phone call at 4 a.m. from him. It was an off day telling us that he, he was going to the fish market in Tokyo and that it, we, uh, it would really be our detriment if we missed out on the experience. <laughs> they said, okay. So we, we went to this fish market at 4 a.m. and it was pretty amazing. And they, these massive tuna and, you know, I, mean, probably, I think probably one of the largest fish markets in the world. And Bobby, you know, was soaking it all in. And, and I thought, all right, well, whatever. We're, we're here at 5 a.m., 6 a.m. We'll just turn around, you know, go home and, and sleep the rest of the day. But, no, Bobby, it, all cylinders were go for the rest of the day. And he had us doing this. You know, we went to a sumo <laughs> match. That day. I mean, it was one of those just bizarre experiences where it was like we were checking everything off the Japanese bucket list <laughs> in one day. Uh uh, actually, another another experience that comes to mind is, is actually one of the first experiences we had with Bobby. We were in Sendai. Uh, it was in March, and it was the every, every spring in Japan, every city has the Cherry Blossom Festival, where mm-hmm. there's a park and it has all the cherry blossom trees. And it was, uh, I think it was after a day game. That's right. It was, it was after a day game. Bobby went back, showered, changed, and we go to this park with him where there's the cherry blossoms. And we just wanted a shot. I mean, all it was is, hey, Bobby, walk down this corridor of trees, we'll take, we'll shoot you and, and that's it. We'll go to dinner. So Bobby's at one end of the park. We're at the other with the camera and we give him the sign to start walking. And as he walks, he just gets mobbed, mobbed by people. Uh, it, we ultimately ended up, ended up using it as the last shot in the film. But as he's trying to make this, this, you know, maybe 25 yard walk to the camera, he just fans just, and they're not even his hometown fans. They're just Japanese. They're, they're fans from the other team, but they, I mean, people are touching him, taking pictures with him. It was unbelievable. And I remember we sent that to, that was one of the first clips we sent to the guys at ESPN. Mm-hmm. And they were, they just couldn't believe it. They said, would well, you guys pay all the extras? And <laughs> it was, it was, yeah, I mean, and that, that's when we really got the sense of how, um, how beloved he was in Japan. Well, Andrew Moscato is it's awesome, awesome stories. Great analysis, great perspective. Is I don't know, you said you, that nobody's thought of this film in, in a little bit, but as I told you, I think there's going to be a huge spike in sales. So why don't we contribute to that spike in sales? Is there any way that people can get in uh, their hands on on the film, The Zen of Bobby V? Uh, you know, Rob, I, I, I wish there was. It had been on ESPN a bunch of times, and, and mm-hmm. they had replayed it on ESPN Classic. Uh, I mean, it would be great to see it on Nesson. Um, unfortunately, what, what happened was that we used a lot of Japanese game footage in the film, and, and I think there was kind of an issue resolving the, the rights to that in the, in the U.S. Mm. Um, so, so, yeah, hopefully, hopefully something can be worked out with, with the Japanese league over there, and, and, and we can get it back on, on American TV sometime we'll soon. Fi- we'll find a way. If we do nothing yeah. else, we will find a way. Is there any other projects that you want to promote at all that you're working yeah, on? Yeah, definitely. Well, it's, well, that's the other funny thing. I mean, my relationship with Bobby over the past years has changed a bit because uh, last year we became business partners. We started a production company together called Makuhari Media, mm. uh, named after the town we lived in in Japan. But yeah, so we're we're making more sports themed documentaries like the Zenobobby V. Uh, we just finished one uh, called Pelotero, uh, which premiered at the Hamptons Film Festival in October, and, and it looks like it will be on TV nationally uh, the start of this coming baseball season. Um, but yeah, it's it's been great, you know, having Bobby, uh, you know, as a as a fellow film producer. But oh, you know, baseball baseball calls, and uh, <laughs> I'm sure he'll still be involved in the filmmaking stuff, just uh, just not as much. Well, again, Andrew, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, and 
And maybe you know, maybe down the line we'll have the uh, the sequel to the Zen of Bobby V at Fenway Park because I know that if that that will definitely get on Nesson, I guarantee you that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I think I, I could I could film Bobby painting a house or watching <laughs> grass grow, and and it would be interesting. So there's, I think there's always there's always room for more Bobby V movies. <laughs> well, Andrew Moscato, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, and we'll talk to you down the line. All right, thanks, Rob. Appreciate the opportunity. Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nanospray coating gives you professional protection and a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand-new 303 graphene detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. Ever wonder what it's like to play in an MLB game? Play Loud is your exclusive look into the fun of the game as we mic up the league's biggest stars and follow them with dedicated cameras both on and off the field. Watch game-time reactions to some of the biggest plays and follow your favorite players as they chat in the dugout with their teammates between innings. You never know what you're going to see or hear. It's baseball like you've never watched before. Tune in for new episodes of Play Loud only on the MLB YouTube channel. MLB YouTube channel. A bad team facing a good team is never completely out of it. Nick Costos, co-host of You Better You Bet. 3 to 7 p.m. Eastern on the BetQL Network. There's 162 games in the season. The best teams are going to lose 60-plus times, and the worst teams are going to win 60-plus times. Each night is its own individual entity. That's what makes betting on the baseball regular season so much fun. All the insight you need to bet smarter is at BetQL.com. And listen to You Better You Bet with Nick Costos and Ken Barkley, streaming weekdays from 3 to 7 p.m. Eastern on Odyssey.